Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 6. This is lesson number 4. We are going to pick up where we left off um, on page 9. And uh, remember again, we're talking about uh, you causing somebody grief. And, uh, and the Lord is saying that if you cause somebody some grief, and then you are about to give an offering, you need to make it right with that person first, because that person needs to be made right with God before you can be blessed. And, and they're standing there trying to do something, and they can't because they've got this problem because you caused it. So the Lord is saying, before you can be blessed, you need to make sure that they're in a place that they can be blessed as well. Amen? And so Jesus says that God can neither bless the offender or the offended. Each must be made right with God before they can be blessed. Now that does not mean that just because one is unwilling to forgive, the other suffers. Not at all. Each is responsible for themselves. So, you know, if you did cause somebody some grief, okay, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally, all right, and you go apologize to them, and they decide they're not going to forgive you, and they're going to hold a grudge. Now that becomes their sin. That's right. You are not forced. You, you're, it's not up to you to make them no. right with God. You need to, to make the way for them to be made right with God. It's up to them to walk it. Right. Are you all with me? Amen? Okay. In fact, in the case where either the offending brother or the offended brother is not willing to forgive and reconcile, then that becomes their sin. With Jesus saying in Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Do you understand now why he says that as well? Because if you are not willing to forgive and you're causing somebody else to stumble because you're not you know, willing to forgive them, then God's going to say, you know what? You're going to live with that sin. Amen? Remember again, He cleanses us when we confess. We don't get cleansed when we don't confess. Okay. In addition to this, the Apostle Paul also says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. No, no, I, just <laughs> I can't go past this. Notice how he begins it. He says, as God's chosen people. Do you understand the position that you are in? Amen? And then he says, holy and dearly loved. He's saying, listen, you're meant to be holy, and you need to know that you are loved by God, dearly. Then he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He can't ask you to do all of that if you don't get the other two first. If you don't realize that you are God's chosen people, that you are meant to be holy, and that you are loved tremendously, you are not going to be kind and compassionate, because you're going to think every man for himself, and woman too. Okay? You know what I'm trying to say? But in knowing that we are loved, in knowing that we are God's chosen, then we can be generous. Amen. And say, okay, you know what? I know I'm loved. I know my value in God. I can, be, I can afford to be kind, I can afford to be uh, compassionate, even if those people are being horrible to me, because I'm not looking for their love, I'm looking at the love I'm receiving from God. And that should be enough. Amen? Okay. And God will bring people that love you anyway. Okay. So again, he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Notice you need to do this. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. 
And he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you understand why he throws the last thing in? How did the Lord forgive you? He forgave you, gave you of all of your sins, regardless of whether you deserved it or not. If you asked, he forgave. So, you know, he says, listen, he says, first of all, forgive. And he says, now I'm going to give you the standard. He says, uh, like the Lord forgives. In other words, he's saying, whenever you go to the Lord, He will never turn you away. Whenever somebody comes and asks you for forgiveness, never turn them away. Amen? And I'm talking about genuine, okay? Uh, genuine people. Here. <clears throat> okay. In light of all of this, uh, all you are expected to do is what God leads you to do. Uh, this is very important. Uh, again, please do all of this as the Lord leads. Sometimes we jump the gun. Sometimes we, without God's leading, decide we're going to go fix something. Don't try to fix things. Listen to me. There's a difference between you trying to fix something and God leading you to something. Amen? Um, the reason is, if you try to fix it in your own time, they may not be ready to receive you, to forgive you, to listen to you. But if you do it in God's time, God will make sure that they're ready, and He says, go now, go now. Because everything is in place now. And you might stop, you might think, well, I'm not in the right frame of mind. No, but they're in the right frame of mind. That matters more than where you are. Amen? Amen. Okay. So let me read this again. In light of all this, all you're expected to do is what God leads you to do, with the understanding that God will not ask you to go beyond what you can handle. And why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, I love this, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, or as much as lies in you, says the King James, live at peace with everyone. So in other words, it's saying, listen, we know you have your limitations, but as much as, as, much as you can manage... He's saying, do your best to live at peace with everybody. Amen? The Apostle Paul is well aware that some people will not allow you to do that. Okay? And he's saying, you know, some people you say, God, I've gone as far as I can, and I just can't, think, I can't do anything about this. This is where this verse kicks in. And he says, it's okay. You've done your best, you move on. It becomes their problem now. Amen? That's all that God expects of you. And as to how they respond that's, respond, that's their responsibility and their sin if they respond ungraciously, not yours. In fact, the way that the Apostle James puts it, uh, put it in James chapter 4 and verse 17, is therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So if you know to do something that's good and you know, you know somebody is asking you for forgiveness and you're thinking, I'm, I'm not going to forgive them because I want to hold this over them a little bit longer. You know what I'm trying to say? I make them feel bad for a bit longer. Don't do that. If you know the right thing to do and you're not doing it, it becomes your sin now. Amen. In his commentary, that verse actually can be applied to so many things and I won't preach on it. In his commentary, William Hendrickson says that what Jesus says in essence in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 is that the heart must be at all times filled with love, not with anger and hatred. It also clearly shows that loving God and therefore bringing Him an offering, yet not loving the brother, but remaining unreconciled to Him, cannot go together. Amen? Okay. In fact, the Apostle John addresses this in his epistle. 1 John chapter 4, we're there now in the epistle of John, but not in verse 20 yet. Okay, he says in verses 20 and 21, he says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. 
Is this interesting? For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Um, let me just say this very quickly. In looking at the uh, epistle of John, and we're, we're finding out where the Apostle John is coming from in a lot of these things. And in this epistle, he's actually talking about two very extreme groups of people. He's talking about the children of God as one extreme, and the children of the devil as another extreme. Amen? And he's talking about those that say that they're of God, but you know, come against Christians, and come against you know, quote-unquote people they used to call their brother. Because remember, it said they, you know, when they left, the, their leaving showed that they were not part of us. Even though they were with us, they were not a part of us. So you know that there was you know, relationships there and everything else. And these people were doing a lot of things to hurt their brothers and sisters. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the heart behind what is being said here. Um, but at the same time, it does apply to everybody. Amen? So I'm just giving you that very quickly. Now as to the kind of reconciliation that Jesus is talking about when he says, first go and be reconciled to your brother, according to William Hendrickson's translation of the Greek, it is a totally different and better relationship than the one they had previously. In other words, when he's saying, go and be reconciled to your brother, he's saying, don't go back and have the same relationship or something less. He's saying it needs to be something different. It needs to be reconciled and it needs to be better than it ever was before. Again, it depends on the person, okay, if they are willing to. But that's what's available. And I don't know how many times we've seen situations where people start out as enemies and become best friends. <laughs> you know, So their relationship did go to another whole, another level in that. Alright, the reason being that since... Uh, the gift derives its value from the heart of the giver, then if the heart were to be compromised in any way, so will the gift that's given. And why Jesus says again in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. William MacDonald goes as far as to say that God receives no worship from a believer who is deliberately not on speaking terms with another. I think we've covered that enough. Amen? Alright, with all this in mind, Jesus goes to say in verse 25, Agree or literally make friends with your adversary quickly, referring strictly to an adversary in a lawsuit now. Okay? While you are on the way, on the way with him, referring to a brief encounter on the street, so if you run into him, okay? Lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Now, <laughs> this was the way the system of law worked back then. If you were found guilty, the judge would hand you over to the officer, who was his underling or assistant, who would then carry out the judge's orders and throw you into prison, okay? MacArthur points out that the word prison, uh, uh, can I just go through this quickly? I want to get through things that actually matter to you, alright? Uh, MacArthur points out that the word prison refers to a debtor's prison, where the person could work to earn back what he had defrauded. And according to Robert H. Mounts, the Gentile practice of imprisoning a debtor was particularly offensive to the Jews, and why Jesus says to them to avoid it at all costs, and make every effort to resolve the situation as quickly as possible. So, bringing this all to kind of today, he's saying, listen, don't get, you know, don't allow yourself to be in trouble. If there is something going on, and you know, if somebody has something against you, don't let it fester because you don't know what it's going to eventuate in. You know, they, I don't know how, you know, sometimes, you know, you think, oh, well, they're okay with it. And the next thing you're getting a knock on the door or something. And somebody's saying, well, this person has a big problem with you. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you think, dear God, that was such a small thing. Why is all this happening now? You just don't know how you affect people. You know, if you're led by the Spirit to do something, do it. 
Because you don't know where it's going to lead. Amen? And especially with, with legal situations as well. Um, boy, that's just, yeah. Okay, in short, I think we've all had experiences, so I'm not going to go on. In short, haste is implied. With Leon Morris saying there is to be no delay in establishing friendly relations. Jesus pictures a brief encounter in the street or on the way to the court and says that the most is to be made of the opportunity. You know, we know that if we run into somebody, usually it's God trying to do something there. Hello. Can we all okay, agree with that? So, you know, let's not be like the Pharisee and cross the street. <laughs> if you're running into somebody, sometimes, you know, I know fear drives us sometimes, and I know, and I'm talking from experience here, sometimes you think, oh dear God, no, I don't want to see that person, I want to go somewhere else, you know, and you cross the street. And, you know, can I say this, there are times when God makes those opportunities available, and something that might be uncomfortable to you might be the right time to get something done. And I don't know, the times that I've braved it out, in quotes, okay, uh, I've found that, you know, the person who I thought was going to be hostile actually turns out, you know, it was really nice. And in, in spending those few moments, things that I thought were a problem were reconciled and things that could have become something else because you get an opportunity sometimes to explain yourself and to sort of say, you know, I'm really sorry about this and this and this. And something that could have later on become a big problem has been taken care of right there because... Even though they didn't ask, because you had an opportunity to explain, they kind of go in their mind, oh, that's why they did it, that, I understand that, and then they re- let go of it, and it doesn't become a problem in your future, or in theirs. Amen? Okay, I'm using just very vague things here, but I'm hoping you get it. Alright, <clears throat> where were we? Alright, this is of course especially true if you are in the wrong and there's every chance that you are going to be found guilty and sent to prison. And in that situation, not even God can help you because you obviously have unresolved and unconfessed sin in your life. Accordingly, William MacDonald writes, The point is clear. If you are wrong, be quick to admit it and make things right. If you remain unrepentant... Now, family, can I just say this does not apply to you, I hope. So don't sweat. Okay, these are talking about extremes here, which I know is not in this room. Okay, so let me just read this. All right. So, the point is clear. If you are wrong, be quick to admit it and make things right. If you remain unrepentant, your sin will eventually catch up with you, and you will not only have to make full restitution, but suffer additional penalties as well. Even more striking is what John MacArthur says in his commentary, and that is Jesus calls for reconciliation to be sought eagerly, aggressively, and quickly, even if it involves self-sacrifice. It is better to be wronged than to allow a dispute between brethren to dishonor Christ. I think that's really interesting. Amen? Okay. That is walking in love, and it will always ultimately work in your favor. However, if you refuse and rebel, and have pride to dominate your thinking, then Jesus says in Matthew 5.26, He says, Assuredly, I say to you, notice He says, Assuredly. He's saying there's no question about this. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Okay, which means He's saying, if you refuse to do what you know is right, then you are going to pay for it. Right up to the end. Amen? In his commentary, Leon Morris writes, The condition in question is the full payment that the penalty requires. And the specification of the last penny emphasizes the completion of the punishment. Now taking a step back, it is, uh, it is important that we don't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is still dealing with matters of the heart, not just about money borrowed and money owed. Okay? And... Um, 
One of the main reasons that Jesus uses money as an example is because it is something everyone can relate to. I think we can say yes to that one, okay? Especially if you've been cheated or taken advantage of and had to deal with all the emotional emotions that go with that. I think that is probably one of the, the, the deepest things that we feel when somebody steals from us. You know, I, I think we can manage a lot of things, but when you are taken advantage of it, you know, people think it's just money. It actually isn't just money. It is a part of your life that has been converted to money. So when somebody rips you off, it feels like somebody has taken a part of your life from you. And a part of your life has been stolen from you. Do you understand? That's the reason why we say, you know, when you give at church, when you give to the Lord, you are giving a part of your life. You're not giving money, you're giving the amount of life that it took for you to get that. And so that's why it's so important and why we, we take it so seriously, why we pray over it and so on and so forth, and why we pronounce a blessing. You know, now four blessings. <laughs> it's, it's increasing, isn't it? We're up to four blessings now over you every time we receive an offering because we want you to be blessed in all of those areas. Amen? Amen. Somebody listening to this probably thinking, what are those blessings come to church? All right, William Hendrickson, <laughs> and we will pray over your offerings as well. <laughs> William Hendrickson brilliantly explains how verse 25, verses 25 and 26 fit into everything Jesus has said up to this point. He writes, to summarize in verses 25 and 26, it is as if Jesus were saying, Be not surprised about the urgency of the command that you be reconciled. For should it be that you were to pass from this life with a heart still at variance with your brother, a condition which you have not, which you have not even tried to change, that wrong would testify against you in the day of judgment. This is really powerful. Moreover, dying with that spirit of hatred still in your heart, you will never escape from the prison of hell. Again, don't go to your grave with things on your heart. Amen. You know, a lot of people that get old, they actually reconcile with their friends and partners and whatever they can. Because of that, you know, because they just get to the end of their life and think, you know, why? <laughs> you know, how futile, how stupid, you know. When you think about it, you're just doing without a certain relationship in your life. And also it's hurting you and it's damaging you because as long as you hold on to things, God sees that. And, you know, your ability to move mountains is lost. Hello? Okay, amen. Therefore, we can now understand that ultimately, Jesus is trying to help us see why it is crucial that we stop sin at its roots and do not allow it to go beyond that very first thought so that all the consequences that follow need never have the opportunity to arise at all. Do you understand what I just said there? All of this began with deal with the thought. Amen. If you deal with it right back there, then none of this will have to be dealt with. You know, this is all the mess that came because somebody refused to deal with that very first thought that was planted in their brain by the devil, I might add, to start all of this in motion. And it's a mess that Jesus says, okay, if you have allowed that to progress to this level where this is how you clean the mess up, it gets harder and worse as you go along. Hello. Amen? And that's why, you know, in looking at all of this, it's kind of like one of those, you know, I love time movies, you know? It's like one of those movies that you see these horrendous things happen because of something that happened back here. And you think, God, if we could just go back in time and just change that one thing, all of this and all the lives and all the problems that came from it will never have eventuated. That's exactly what God is doing. If we can see it in those terms, if we can see it like one of those time movies and think, you know what? <laughs> I have a bad feeling, 
that if I don't deal with this right now in my head, that it's going to result in something massive at the other end. And rather than get there and regret it all, let's do it now and so that it never eventuates. Hallelujah. God, it will be so much better. Amen. Okay. For <laughs> I, have, I have nine minutes. <laughs> let's see what we can do in nine minutes, shall we? Okay, the law regarding adultery. I was going to skip some of these. What I'll do instead is read through them really quickly. How about that? Okay, because I know you're all good in this. Following murder, Jesus now goes on to talk about the sin of adultery, which God forbids in the seventh commandment. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. Verse 28, But I say to you uh, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Notice again, the whole thing is about your heart. Okay, maybe I can't skip through this that quickly. Let me just say this. You know, I've, I've, I've spoken about this in the past. Looking isn't a sin. What you think about when you're looking, that's where the problem is. Are, are you all with me? I don't know how many people, you know, they just have these extremes and silly things that they do. And, you know, they think they're being holy and religious. It's just being silly. Have you noticed, can I give you a revelation? I'll give you a revelation, I'm giving it to you anyway. Okay. <laughs> Have you noticed that if you close your eyes, it doesn't shut your imagination down? In, kind, in, in fact, it kind of elevates it. Hello. So you shutting your eyes isn't going to change anything that you are imagining. Probably make it worse. Amen. So what we're saying is, and what Jesus is saying is, you know, he's saying, listen, what's going on on the inside of you, it's not what you're looking at out here, it's what you are translating and what you are doing with that information, that's where the problem is. Amen? And even though he's dealing with adultery, it can be dealt with anything, like anything in your life. This is how the thing works. Okay. Once again, Jesus begins with what was originally taught by saying, you have heard that it was said, and then goes on to quote Exodus 20.14, which literally says, you shall not commit adultery. As before, there was nothing wrong with the law itself, but what was wrong was, again, the way the scribes and Pharisees explained and applied it. Therefore, Jesus is now going to correct them with the words, but I say to you, and with that, go on to explain that it is the look or the inner state that is under judgment before God, not just the physical act. In other words, he was letting them know that long before the physical act, the thoughts and intents of the heart were being judged by God, equal to the act. Especially in light of the 10th commandment in Exodus 20.17, which said, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Okay, I have ungodly thoughts about it. that's what covet means. Jesus knew for a fact that the scribes and Pharisees had memorized the 10 commandments and therefore were well aware of this aspect of the law, but simply refused to teach it. Isn't it interesting that what, they, and I think the reason you won't teach something is because you're guilty of it. That's right. <laughs> and every time you teach it, it, it hits at you. So I think that's really interesting, Whenever, especially when we consider the story about you know, when they brought that woman taking an adultery in the very act, and how did they know? You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, in light of all of this. So, that's why Jesus would later go on to even further amplify what he meant here in Matthew 5.28, by saying in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, that those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. 
Because the, the Pharisees saying, oh, it's what goes in the mouth and how dirty they are, that's what defiles a person. And Jesus said, no, 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 God doesn't look on the outside. He looks at what's coming out of your mouth from the inside. That's what defiles a person. Verse 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Notice where it's coming from, the heart. Okay, he says, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Interesting. Amen? So again, it is abundantly clear that God in fact looks on the heart and therefore views the evil lust of the heart as adultery, just as He viewed hatred of the heart as murder. That being said, it should also be noted that just looking, I've said this, okay, at a man or a woman isn't a sin. Only looking to lust. And He said that, okay? Which is literally defined as gazing and staring at the person with the intent of committing adultery and fornication. That immediately tells us that this activity requires your imagination, both heart and mind, to be active and fully involved. So, this is now telling us something. This, this is, it doesn't happen accidentally. You can't say, well, an accident, I th- <laughs> okay? No, it requires effort. Are you all with me? Okay? And so he's saying, listen, it's for those people that not just, eh, let me just add this to it. I've never really thought about this. So let me just, I just got a bit of a revelation here. So let me just add this in. You know, sometimes you look at something and it does something to you. That's still not a sin. If you then proceed from that point to start imagining something, which requires effort, now you're in sin. Do you all get that? Okay? Alright. I just want to share that with you. Let's move on. I told you, I'm just going to read this otherwise. So, that immediately tells us again that this activity requires your imagination to be active and fully involved. Accordingly, William McDonald, oh, excuse me, William Hendrickson points out that there is nothing innocent about looking to lust. It is selfish. In the proper setting, sex is a wonderful gift of God. However, For lewdness and vulgarity, there is no excuse. It is wrong always and everywhere for the unmarried as well as for the married. Now added to this, the Full Life Study Bible says that what Christ condemns is not the sudden thought which Satan may place in a person's mind or an improper desire that arises suddenly. I like that. Okay, that's what I was saying to you before. Okay, it isn't anything sudden. Okay, if something happens suddenly, whatever, and you know, I've seen you know uh, this out out there where somebody will see something and the other one will just jab them and slap them or whatever. You kind of say, "Hey, yeah, he's over here," you know, you know. Okay, those are sudden things. Those aren't the things that Jesus is talking about. If that person were to keep looking and they start drooling, now we have an issue. Now, okay, so you all know what I'm trying to say, right? Without saying too much, or maybe I did already say too much. All right, uh, so rather, it is wrong. It is a wrong thought or desire that is accompanied with the approval of our will. It is having an immoral desire which would seek fulfillment if the opportunity arose. Now that is really key. All right, some people they you know they they look all. You know, holy and righteous and everything else, but given an opportunity. You know, I still remember, I think it was, a, it was an actual story of this lady that was married and, you know, she, she looked all prim and proper, you know, all of her life and then the husband died. And the next thing, you know, she's just running around town, you know. And everybody said, oh, look what happened to her after her husband died, you know, she just went downhill. Sweetheart, that stuff doesn't happen suddenly. That's who she was right from the beginning. We're just now seeing it when her husband isn't here anymore. To you know, object. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say, Amen. No, no. Of course, he's dead, and she can move on. But you know, I'm trying to say, there's moving on, and then there's that. You know, <laughs> okay. In, 
In fact, the Apostle Peter identifies the kind of person that would behave this way and says in 2 Peter 2.14, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. I want, to, I want you to see that. Eyes full of adultery. This is, notice he didn't say just looking. He says adultery. Which, okay? He says they never stop sinning. In other words, they're constantly using their imagination. He says they seduce the unstable. Or as the Living Translation puts it, they make a game of luring unstable people into sin. In other words, these people know exactly what to say to you, to get, your, to get you to compromise your values and beliefs, and join them in their sin. Let me just stop here for one second. Oh dear God, I'm out of time. You know, I was really trying hard on this one, okay? But let me just say this, you know, just for, for young people especially, you know, somebody sort of comes and says to them, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian too, I, I know what you believe in, and it's okay with God, and you know, that is, that, that is what they're talking about. To be careful about things like that. Uh, you don't know if they really were a Christian. People say stuff. Just because somebody has a cross doesn't mean they're a Christian. Can I say that? And leave it at that. Okay. In other words, these people know exactly what to say to you to get you to compromise your values again and join them in their sin. So we're going to leave it there and come back and look at what Leon Morris says in his commentary next time. I'm sure it's very interesting, but we don't have time. All right. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for this time in your word. We thank you, Father, for all the things that you are sharing with us.